Hey, it's Alexander J, host of the NBA show here on the network. I hope you've had a good holiday break. There is plenty, and I mean plenty, going around in the NBA at the moment. If you're a little bit like me and you've missed a couple days here or there of action, then today's show is for you. I've missed the last three days, so thank God i got these guys on. I've got Yuri Bilsic and Julian Balthazar on for the hour. We talk, they catch me up, basically, in the last three days of action. Plus the week, we get to the Lakers and them trending downwards since winning the in-season tournament. LeBron's 39. He can actually be a free agent in the offseason if he wants to. I go on a little bit of a rant in hindsight, probably too long of a rant, on the poor roster construction in LA. We touch on the Golden State Warriors, again, historic franchise, trending the wrong way. Uh, just today, they lost Chris Paul for some time with a wrist fracture, I believe. I missed that. Uh, Draymond Green's probably coming back at the end of this week. There's questions about Steve Kerr's coaching and his legacy in Golden State. Uh, we move on to the Bulls, who they've been sneaking under the radar. They've been on a really good stretch without uh, their star point, uh, excuse me, their star shooting guard in Zach Levine. Kobe White's the name we keep picking on. The Bulls are coming back. And as always, there's some great stats and some trivia we've got picked out at the end of the show. You can have a go yourself at home. Welcome to 2024. Here's today's show for the first week of the year in the NBA. Alrighty, I'm back on the Zoom with Yuri Bilsic, Julian Balthazar. Yuri, we'll start with you. How was your new year, mate? Very good, actually. Happy new year to both of you as well. And it was great. It was just digestive basketball here and there too as well. And a few teams have really made a bit of a catapult, hey, in the last probably 11 or 12 games. Utah Jazz, one of those teams, beat the Philadelphia 76ers today, who were without Joel Embiid once more too. Been battling an ankle injury beforehand, missed the last four games before coming back yesterday, and they'll absolutely drug butted New York Knicks 128-92 to 92 out of the top of my head. So, yeah, they've been playing really good basketball, Alex, too, especially their home record they've been, been able to improve as well. They've made a number of adjustments, especially their starting lineup, which we can touch on a little bit later if we want to as well. But it's good to see, right, because the playing spots are right up for grabs now. I think Toronto and Atlanta too, even though both those teams have been really inconsistent this season, they're right in shouting distance. So it's been really good to watch thus far. Jules, how are you? Did you go anywhere for Christmas, New Year's? Christmas and New Year's was here, but I just recently went away to McRae with the family, which was fantastic. Um, Alex, I know you go by Alexander J. Today it's Alex and the Jays, Yuri and Jules. So <laughs> looking forward to talking basketball with you too. I've been watching uh, Emmanuel Quickly. Uh, and obviously OG and Anobi, um, and yeah, looking forward to discussing them and a few more games uh, with you blokes today. I was saying off air uh, before we started recording, I went away just a little vacay for the holiday period and missed a lot of basketball and come back and now I'm doing lawn renovations at the house. So I've missed a fair bit of basketball. So I'm relying on you two, the Jays, to help Alexander uh, and help me figure out what's happened. So for example, I, I look away for a week and Oklahoma dropped two games against the Nets and Atlanta, which you know you think they're pretty winnable games and they were within mm. striking distance for number one in the West. They may have even been there for a day or two if I wasn't paying attention. Another team that's kind of been on this trend um, to the end of last year and into the first week of 2024 certainly has been uh, the Lakers. They're on an awful stretch since winning the first ever in-season tournament. They've lost 10 of their last 13 games. I think they're out of the plane at the moment. If I scroll down on my little screen, they're 11th in the West at 17 and 19, so below uh, 500. Uh, Jules, we'll start with you. Have you got any thoughts on the Lakers? Um, I just want to mention, before we move any further... LeBron can be a free agent this offseason if he wishes so. He's on a player option. 
I'm, I'm not saying they should trade him. I'm just saying he can be a player, a uh, free agent. Jules, the floor is yours. Nice. Well, wherever Bronny ends up, I hope LeBron goes. So that might not be with the Lakers. But yeah, I, I actually must admit, I haven't watched a lot of their games. I've watched the highlights. And I note that they do have, they have had a relatively tough fixture, you might be able to say, with the Wolves, Pelicans, Heat, who are tracking okay, and also the Grizzlies, who are a bit better with Morant in the side. So I don't know if we can crucify them too much just yet. But one thing I want to ask Yuri and yourself as well is, do they need to start trading to get some better star power into this lineup? Because Torian Prince and Cam Reddish, to me, they're just not mm-hmm. cut out to be starters, and they are. And point guard, like LeBron, is he playing at the point guard at the moment? It, look, it looks like he is with um, his numbers. His assist numbers have gone up, I've noticed. Um, but, geez, where are they with their lineup? Because at the moment, I know D'Lo is coming off the bench. And as I said, Prince and Reddish, I just don't think they'd cut it as starters in any other side, yet they're on this side in the starting lineup. So, can to hear your thoughts. Yeah, Yuri, um, you can go first because it's a nightmare and I want you to cover everything so I don't have to. <laughs> oh, absolutely, Alex. I think the biggest part was before the start of the season, naming Torian Prince as that basically fifth starter for the Lakers. And he's more mm. a three-point shooter and a guy who provides excellent perimeter defense as well. And that's pretty much what the Lakers' whole roster really evolves around for, around LeBron and Anthony Davis is those perimeter defenders. But the issue they've had all season, which... It's been so constantly mentioned, is their three-point shooting right? They just cannot hit threes to save their life. Yes, they only shoot 35.1%, but you look at some games and the discrepancies are absolutely vast. Even that in-season tournament Mm. finale we talked about, Alex, late last year when they only shot 2 of 13. They don't take many three-pointers, the Lakers, and that's sort of where so much has to come from the paint with AD's production down low too and him hitting those 15 to 18 foot jumpers when he does stretch the floor. But the other part to it as well is sort of the rotations. That's come into sort of a little bit of heat in a way in the last few days for the Lakers as well. Darvin Ham, I think, only played eight plays yesterday and was watching their entire game against the Grizzlies yesterday. And just some of the amount of missed coverages they had, especially for Memphis side, which is ranked dead last for three-point shooting at 33.8%. They gave up 23 three-pointers. Marcus Smart hit 8 of 14 from downtown. Jaron Jackson was 5 of 6 from the land of three. And Desmond Bain had a season-high 13 assists. And that man's playmaking, we can even speak on later, has just been absolutely off the charts. He's averaging 5.4 assists this season. He might so still make a push for the All-Star game. Just yeah, I'll, I'll could, put that in could there. Well. Could well do. So those are really the issues I think the Lakers have been having as well this season as well, and that's just been one of many. And also the injuries as well. D'Angelo Russell's missed the last three games, and Rui Hachimura is out for, well, some time with a grade one calf strain, and those are two really important pieces now. Well, D'Lo coming off the bench and Rui. Yeah, Gabe Vincent's hardly played this season. I think he underwent knee surgery a few days back, so... It's really sort of tender hooks at the moment for the Lakers. And we saw last year, right? They were 26 and 32 or something at one point. And they went on that barnstorming tear to conclude the regular season. And then, of course, beat Minnesota in our first playing game to finish just the seventh seed and make it all the way through to the Western Conference Finals. But you take away LeBron James as what? 25.2 points per game. AD is averaging 25.3 points per game. And you also mentioned too, Julian, about LeBron's numbers. I think he's averaging about 7.4 assists this season, like 7.5 rebounds along those lines. And he's shooting like 52% from the field and 39% from deep, which I'm pretty sure the 39% from downtowns are career best as well in any season for LeBron. So 
It's pretty remarkable, right? Because those two have played pretty much every single one of the Lakers' 36 games. I think AD's missed a game or two here or there. And if you were to put those two season averages together compared with what the team's doing, you think a 17 and 19 record should well be more like a 24 or 12 record or a 23 and 13 record along those lines. But it's just the defensive breakdowns a bit, which is really hindering them. And the offense as yep. well, that's been too well documented, which they go missing for long stretches of time. And unless LeBron or AD are both on the floor together, one of them is on the floor. And that's where they are really caught behind this one, have to make up a lot of ground. So it's a really sort of delicate stage at this stage for the Lakers, considering now I think they're in a long, lengthy homestand at this stage. And it doesn't get much easier with the Clippers, right, who are, what, 22 and 12 this season as well. And they've won like 14 their last 16 games, including absolutely wiping the floor with the Pelicans yesterday. So that's even a harder task. And their record against the Clippers, well, since, well, for the last decade, hasn't been that great. Yeah, for this, to me, it screams poor roster construction. I mean, a lot was said yeah. over the offseason. They retained D'Angelo Russell. They paid Rui Hachimura. Those two guys are probably not going to be on the team in a couple of months because the only thing – this team's got two options. They fired Darvin Ham as a head coach, which you know every head coach that LeBron James has ever had has been under threat of that. Or you make a major deal or two at the trade deadline to fix this roster like they did at the end of last season. I'm looking at the depth chart for the Lakers. Austin Reeves as the starting point guard. Yep, that's fine. D'Angelo Russell as the second point guard. That's fine. But after that, it's Jalen hood Shafino, who's a rookie. You look at the starter position for the shooting guard. It's Cam Reddish, who's done nothing in this league. I like his hustle on defense. After him, the second starting, excuse me, the second shooting guard is Max Christie. He's a sophomore player. He did nothing last year. You're starting small forward, Torian Prince. You like him on your team as the sixth, seventh, or eighth guy, but in the starting lineup, no thank you. There's no backup behind him. The backup for that position is Max Christie, again, second-year player, Austin Reeves, who would be an undersized three, or Cam Reddish. You look at the power forward position, you've got LeBron James and Rui Hachimura. Rui's out. I still really like Rui Hachimura. Um, and then Jared Vanderbilt, who's being played off the floor. And then at the starting center position, Anthony Davis. You've got no other centers they want to give middle uh, minutes to. Christian Wood has been a failure. I could have told you that in the offseason. Yuri's nodding along. Jackson Hayes, I really rate. I haven't seen him enough in a Lakers uniform, but I liked his time in other teams. Then you've got a guy I've literally never seen before in the depth chart, Colin Castleton. I don't know if either of you have ever seen that name. This team screams they've got three good players. Austin Reeves yeah. is legit good. Anthony Davis, who's having maybe the best year of his career in short spurts, and LeBron James, who's 39 goddamn years old. This is a roster construction failure. Good news for Lakers fans. You can fix it by pairing D'Angelo Russell and Rui Hachimura in a deal. That's a max contract. I don't know who they get because I don't think Kyrie Irving's available out of Dallas. I don't know where you look around the league and see who's selling outside of maybe the Toronto Raptors, outside of maybe the Washington Wizards. Are you going to overpay to get Kyle Kuzma back? I don't think that's the option. The answer is trade. I don't know what the question is. I don't know what you trade for. And this is just, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better for Lakers fans. And we know LeBron is good at that when it comes to trades. And <laughs> um, talking about uh, Yuri's uh, Lakers in the strife with three-pointers, they are the second worst in the NBA in terms of three-pointers made and three-pointers attempted. Um, and, and Torian Prince, I, I don't want to harp on about him too long because he is what he is. But at the same time, as a small forward, who's playing 31 minutes a game. He's averaging 2.9 rebounds, nine points, uh, one, one assist or so, 
And you compare that to a supporting player like, I know I know he's not the same player as Michael Porter Jr., but as a small forward, he averages 16.7 rebounds, you know, adds a bit of support both ways. That's the sort of output that they need from someone like him if he's going to be a starting small forward. Like a small forward, for me, averaging 2.9 rebounds just doesn't cut it when you're playing 30-plus minutes. Um, but, yeah, I think I don't want to be too harsh because he, he is what he is. I think he's the max he's ever averaged is six rebounds when he played for the Nets, so. Every time I watch the Lakers, Torian Prince goes off too. He'll get like three threes in a matter of That's minutes. That's what I'll do to you. Yeah. <laughs> I would hate as to have prop, him in my yeah. fantasy team, yeah. I was going to say, as a prop better, you, you leave those players alone because he'll have five threes in one game and then he'll take 10 the next game and make one. So, All right, moving on. Uh, Yuri, we'll throw it back to you for uh, what mattered to you in the first week of 2024 in the NBA. I've got a couple of things I'll touch on. Um, the downfall of Golden State continues. We've just spoken about the Lakers and their uneasiness. Also, I don't want to move on without mentioning Victor Wembanyama versus Giannis Antetokounmpo. That duel was unreal. But Yuri, what mattered to you the most this week in the NBA? Yeah, definitely the Golden State issue, Alex, as well. And they did manage to squeak by the Detroit Pistons yesterday. Steph scored 12 of his 26 points in the last minute and a half, and they needed all of those right because Boyan Bogdanovich's three put Detroit ahead by one with about a minute 20 left in the game. And looked as though, unfortunately, Golden State were going to be the fourth victim to Detroit, but no, it wasn't meant to be. And the really big part as well, because we've seen Chris Paul last four or five games come into a starting lineup right and really allow Steph to play more off-ball. Now's the big thing going into the season is were they going to pair those two together in the backcourt? And we've seen that, but now with CP3 missing whatever indefinite period of time due to what his 11th broken hand or something, his career, which is... Really unfortunate once again, right? Because it was a freak accident, him trying to go for the ball and he sort of made contact with Jaden Ivey's shirt or his hand got caught underneath. No, I didn't about, even see that one. Yuri. I think yeah. it was about 558 or 550 left in the third and it was 63-56, I think, the score at that point. And he, he he knew right away once he made contact that he was writhing in pain. He was trying to shake the hand just to try and relieve, relieve the pain, but unfortunately it didn't work. And now the big part as well is for... The Warriors, we've seen now Draymond Green basically being reinstated by the league after missing the last 12 games, of course, having to address his behaviour issues after elbowing Yusuf Nurkic in the face in a game against Phoenix all the way back on December 12th. So Isn't that a crazy thing to say about up. an adult have to address your behaviour issues? Mm. Um, yeah, I did see that he's still going to ramp up for at least another week, so he won't play uh, this upcoming week, it looks like. Uh, but do continue you because there's a lot yeah, going and- on. There is, and especially within the Golden State circle, and giving Trace, Trace Jackson Davis a lot more minutes as well. That game against Boston a couple of weeks ago, right? It was a Tuesday night, and they were just in desperate need of just a defensive spark plug or anything just to help them. And he came up with like a couple of really big blocks. I think he had one block on Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown in a certain passage of play right at the rim, and it really just lifted the spirits of the team. And he had about 13 rebounds in the end of the game. I was thinking, well, Steve Kerr, he doesn't normally tend to give the youngsters a lot of minutes, and he did start a couple of games recently too. So that's at least somewhere that they can sort of really provide just a bit of presence as well because it's weird enough, right, because Golden State are, what, top five for rebounding, and yet they're one of the smallest teams in the league, and especially in their big man department, they're just wafer thin. So at least they've found a rookie player who can really provide a lot as well. And I think there was a comparison as well to like Andrew Bogart of Trace Jackson Davis. So if he improves his passing a lot too and his whole rim protection as well, maybe providing sort of that 
lethal pick and roll with Steph Curry, which Curry and Bogut did so well for a number of years at Golden State, then it will certainly provide a lot more of a different dimension to their offense, right? And there's probably one other thing as well, Alex, and a guy on YouTube mentioned this. He's a really good YouTuber as well. And for Golden State to perhaps pull the strings a bit and try and get a big man, it's almost as though why don't they trade for Jared Allen in a way? Because we've seen at Cleveland, right, with the spacing with him and Evan Mobley hasn't been that ideal. And Mobley, yes, has improved sort of his jump shooting and try to take a few more threes here and there in games. It wouldn't be so bad for Golden State to try and go down that path and try and just get a big man because they haven't had one since Bogut and David Lee, right? And even when Festus Azili was on that roster too, he at least provided some valuable minutes here and there. So it's just a really interesting poise where Golden State are at at this stage. And yes, they do occupy the 10th and final spot in that playing seating. But just going ahead within this next few weeks here and there too, and especially with the adjustments they've made with Andrew Wiggins coming off the bench and with, well, what happened on Thursday night over there in Oakland, right? That was that was really deflating, right? You give up an 18-point lead with essentially six and a half minutes left against Denver and the game's basically right in your court and to really cough it up, give you up a 25-4 run at the end of the game and Nicole Jokic hitting that 40-foot banker oh, was just... Unreal. It was insane, right? It was mm. just... Mayhem he was more happy than when he won the title, yeah. hitting that 40-foot shot. It was unreal. <laughs> uh, should mention Trace Jackson Davis, for those listening that don't know, uh, son of NBA power forward center, Dale Davis. I think he played with the Pacers for a fair bit. So assuming you want to get uh, one of the Cleveland big men into Golden State, does that mean Andrew Wiggins is going out in that trade? Is that what you'd be happy with, Yuri? Well, the trade that was talked about for Jared Allen was more around Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga. Time. Yeah, okay. That's where the trade was really centralized, centralizes around. But who knows whether Golden State would sort of pull the trigger in that aspect. But they are in sort of really critical need of getting a big man, just a rim protector in a way, too, that can really help them out defensively. Because okay. the last sort of two and a half seasons, they've really hit the skids in terms of their defensive rating now. They're not the powerhouse defensive team that won those four championships in those eight seasons now, Alex. You never know. Maybe uh, Draymond Green is reformed and he's got some Zen energy and he comes back and he kills it for him. Uh, Jules, what mattered to you this week in the league? I'm going to um, jump on a player actually under the microscope. I'm going to just highlight DeMantis Sabonis because I've watched a lot of Kings games and I just think we need to talk about how good this bloke is because does he get the credit he deserves for what he's doing for the Kings uh, this year? 21 and 13. He's played 125 out of 128 games for the Sacramento Kings. He's played every game this season. So he's super durable, which is not that common for the centers in the league. If you consider Embiid, Porzingis, there's probably a few mm-hmm. other names that of just uh, Anthony Davis, another center that just doesn't get out there every single game. But he's there night in after night out, you know, doing this, having the same sort of effort with his rebounding and his hustle on both ends. So just to highlight his last 10 games, which I've been watching, he's had six out of uh, six in the last 10 games. He's had triple doubles, which is fantastic. He's had, yeah, 30 out of 34 double doubles this season, eight triple doubles in total, but yeah, six in the last 10 games. Um, in terms of his rebounding, you know, people can say that people stat pad, but at the end of the day, like he's in there boxing out on both ends. And he's had one game where he had five rebounds. Other than that game against the Clippers, his lowest rebound this year has been eight. 
So eight rebounds is his minimum if you want to get rid of that five outlier. And then, other, as I said, 30 out of 34 games, he's had a double-double, which is fantastic. But yeah, he's just such a good player. And the, the minimum amount of assists he's had this year is three, which is, again, unheard of for a big man. So I don't know. I think this guy needs some more respect. I know he is a, an all-star and you know people love him, but I'm saying let's get this guy, let's talk about it even more because he is up there with the best centers in the league. Hey, Alexander J here, checking in 20 minutes into the show. Uh, I had a bit of an audio issue for about 30 seconds as I spoke about maybe Sacramento making a move for Pascal Siakam. So uh, you're going to jump back in as Yuri's picking up what I was saying about, hmm, I don't know if it's clogging the lane too much in Sacramento. I need to think about it more. Um, if you've got thoughts on maybe Pascal particularly coming to Sacramento as a three or a four, maybe hit us up on our socials. We're at Mojo Sports Network. Here's the show again. Oh, completely agree with both of you. And that's probably a real sort of conundrum in a way if they do go after him. Imagine Toronto be like, well, we want Keegan Murray in exchange for Pascal Siakam. No way. They're not going to basically throw the chip away and say that, well, we've had a guy right in this second season and who absolutely went off against Utah last month for 47 points, hit what a franchise record, what, 12 threes or something in the game yeah. as well. They're not going to steer the lever and sort of adhere to that because that's obviously the first thought that Toronto got to do because their whole aim for the future now is building around Scotty Barnes, RJ Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly. And if they do get Keegan Murray in the deal right, then what what does really sort of pose in the way in terms of their point guard position and sort of the power forward spot because they can't sort of really fit, fit them all in together. But as to going back to Siakam, there have been like other teams who – well, rumoured teams that could well be in contention to trade for Siakam, even Golden State could well be one. Because Siakam's not only mm. just a really good offensive player too, and those whirly-dwirly sort of spinning moves he makes into paint, which he's absolutely perfected right yeah. over his career, is that he's a very good defender too. He he is exceptionally good for his size as well. Yes, he does stand at six foot nine, and he's a little bit lankish in a way, but... He covers so much ground in the half-court offense. And that's all, if you're Golden State, if you're the Atlanta Hawks as well, I don't think they're going to give up Jalen Johnson. That That's probably a guarantee no. right there, considering Jalen Johnson's had a breakout sophomore year. He's averaging, what, 15.1 points per game, 8.1 rebounds. And this is a guy that missed, what, a couple of weeks with a broken wrist or something after falling hard into the stanchion. I don't think they're going to give up Jalen Johnson for him. So if you look at the Sacramento whole point of things as well because they're a little bit sort of undersized you would say in terms of their bigs yes they do have JaVale McGee they used to have Rashad Holmes but he's now the Dallas Mavericks mm. and I think Alex Len if not mistaken is still on the Kings roster as well so they've at least got some size there so they've got some flexibility if they do want to play DeMarcus at the four but the only issue is though with that is that DeMarcus played at the four in Indiana and his partnering with Miles Turner never really worked out. So that was also another reason why the Pacers traded him to Sacramento Kings was to free up Turner and give DeMarcus back to playing his usual center spot. So there's a lot of posing questions, I think. If you're the Kings and you do want to go ahead and pull the lever for Pascal Siakam, is offensively they're fine. That's not an issue. It's defensively, which Mike Brown spoke about yesterday after they just scraped by the Toronto Raptors, is that we can be really good defensively if we want to be, but it's actually stopping teams from getting five, six buckets in a row and creating three or four stops ourselves. So those are sort of really the balances that they've got to try and get right. But 
as talking to Julian about, Siakam's a very good defender and, and would add immensely to the Kings who, in a way, do get blown by pretty easily on the perimeter. There's a trade that works in the trade machine. It's Pascal Siakam for Kevin Huerta and uh, Harrison Barnes. Who says no in that trade? Oh, I would take that if I was the Kings every day of the week. Yeah, so, I, th- I think the Raptors yeah. probably want a really good first-round pick. Um, you got three years of both of those guys, though. So if you believe you just need some shooting, Kevin Huerta has been awful this year, but historically been okay. Harrison Barnes has got the pedigree, but again... Toronto need to make decisions to get out of the middle. I'm not sure Harrison Barnes is the guy. So I think the Kings do that in a heartbeat, uh, which is an interesting conversation. Uh, a couple of things to move on. Other things that happened this week. Uh, let's talk about Wemby versus Giannis. I didn't get to watch this game live. I saw the 10-minute condensed highlights, and it was a banger. Every second of those 10 minutes was a play of the week. Um, did either of you guys watch this game live? No, didn't get to watch the game live, but just saw Giannis's comments afterwards just about Wemby and just the footwork he has even only at the age of 20 right it was on Wemby's 20th birthday and he put up what 27 points and nine rebounds if not mistaken as well in that stat line Giannis had 44 points and 14 rebounds it was just one of those almost like passing the torch in a way as well like you talk about like probably a long time ago when maybe like when Shaquille O'Neal was coming up and going up against Hakeem Olajuwon or even going up against a Patrick Ewing. Sort of like that almost passing the mantle forward to the next oh, power did forward centre. Because the Bucks won. So it's, <laughs> I don't think he, he <laughs> yeah. maybe showed him the torch and he held onto it for a second. <laughs> yeah, but sort of it was a really good learning lesson too, I think. And that's something Giannis spoke about too because there was one play which he got absolutely caught back door. He sort of overplayed. I think it was Trey Jones who had the ball at the top. And sort of overplayed considering he thought that Wemby might go and sort of post him up. But Wemby made a great move to cut towards the basket and flush it home with both hands. So Wemby's skill, right, without the ball is something that he's working on. And I think we talked about, right, his sort of shooting numbers, Alex, beforehand. He was like, I think shooting, what, 44% this season, something like 79% yeah, from the foul line. He's averaging about 19.2 points per game. It was sort of some of his jump shots as well, which you think he probably could get better ones. The shot selection has been, yeah. yeah. It's been poor for him. Um, And you you kind of get it. He probably had the ball in his hands a lot in France and uh, in League One over there. But that, that to me, is the difference. The only difference between him and Chet Holmgren is the shot selection is poor in Wemby. Maybe he's being asked to do too much versus Chet, who limited ball in a really good team in OKC. So he's like, I'll take a good shot when I've got one. Um. Underrated Devin Vassell performance, 34 points for Devin Vassell. I know a lot of people don't really pay attention to him. He was injured a big portion of last year, and there's been a lot of slander uh, for anyone with the ball outside of Victor Wembanyama in San Antonio, so it was good to see. And a fun little stat I picked up this morning when I was doing some research for today's show. Um, I was looking at historical records for teams that had the number one pick, and the Spurs at 5-29 and 29 currently are on track for the worst record of all time for a team that won the number one pick the year before. So... With a generational talent like Victor Wembanyama, you find that's you know it could have been Anthony Bennett in the Cavs, it could have been a whole mm. slew of terrible picks that have got, come and gone in our lifetimes. But um, we might start to see some Greg Popovich slander, I think, at the end of this year if <laughs> if things don't start to improve. Basketball fans are more patient than uh, football fans, American football fans, but it's happening over in you know uh, Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots over there. You know, it's historic. Hall of Fame coach who's just been at the helm of a dog shit team. So um, maybe that starts to happen with Pop. All right, a couple other noteworthy news items for the week. 
my document's frozen, so I'm going to throw straight to the basketball encyclopedia, Yuri. Anything else this week you wanted to talk about that we didn't touch? Yeah, the biggest one, I think, coming from the week too, Alex and Julian, is the fact that the Brooklyn Nets, when they played the Milwaukee Bucks on, I think it was December 27 or something, if memory serves me right as well, the Barclays Centre, they essentially rested four of their five starters in the second half, and that included Macau Bridges as one of them, and it really caught the attention of the league officers as well. Joe Dumas as well, former Detroit Pistons general manager, executive, if not mistaken as well too, and he was also a big part of recruiting Rick Carla all those years ago back in May 2001 to turn the franchise around. So he was pretty strong on his words about the Nets resting their starters for the second half, and we saw at the start of his season that the league really wanted to crack down and make a big part for player participation, a whole man management rest policy, which players have been taking advantage of for a number of seasons right now. And I think that's the big part now is that we saw a long time ago with the Spurs and Heat back in November 2012. It was a nationally televised game on TNT. And Greg Popovich rested, I think, four of his five starters and he copped a $250,000 fine because of it. The Nets copped the same thing as well against the Indiana Pacers. I think a couple of seasons ago, they rested eight guys and were fined a hefty amount. So... They're really sort of cracking down hard. And I think it's good too because yeah. fans, as we all know, pay their hard-earned money's worth to go see their favourite superstars play. And if they legitimately have an injury, yeah, that's a good enough excuse technically. But if they're just resting because of a back-to-back or load management, all those things without really having a specified injury, then it doesn't really make sense. It's almost just making a mockery of the so-called player participation policy and now with those whole rules coming into effect with the awards where you, ha- where you can only be eligible right if you play 65 or more games I think it's a great thing as well because you look a long time ago right Ray Allen I think for his first five seasons in Milwaukee I think three of those seasons he played more than like 78 games or something during that season I think 2001-2002 he had an injury only played I think he played 69 of the 82 games by memory and you talk about back then with players who consistently play 80 to 82 games and basically played their injury. Latrell Sprewell was the same thing as well in his rookie year. He played a whole 82 games and was averaging, I think, 35.7 minutes per game in his rookie season alone. But just going back to sort of Joe Dumas's comments as well and why it was so important too is because, again, play, play management, yes, we totally get it. Even like Darren Williams, right, he had an ankle injury, missed nine games all those years ago came back and played, I think it was 64 games in that 2013-14 season. And it's sort of really hard if you're the league to really sort of contact each one of the 30 teams. And if if a team's resting three or four players, then that sort of does get really suspicious in a way. And that's what the league sort of really came to the conclusion of and probably rightly so too because we've seen even like this season, right, with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and They've pretty much played all the games, even though Kawhi missed a bit of time. Was it with that hip or groin injury yeah, recently? Last but he's weeks, been so. yeah, the last couple last couple of games. But he's now back in the starting lineup. So that's a really important part of the whole league going forward. Again, is that to really see the best superstars in action as well, and them sort of battling through duress like we've seen over a number of years. It's just to not make such a mockery of the system alone and. That's where it's real big centralizing part too. And I think it's great for the league that they've really come down to this. Because you look at the players in terms of like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, you look through their stat numbers, 
And pretty much both those guys have played every game for the Celtics this season, right? Why are they 28 and 7, I think, on the season currently thus far? And I think it's a really sort of good thing, too, is that each night teams, well, spectator, I say, would know even when it's a back to back, they'll be on the court. And I think Jason Tatum spoke about this even a mm. while back that he doesn't really like missing out on games, even when he does have the flu or even when he's just a little bit sort of under 100% fit, he'll still always find a way to play. So yeah. I think it was a really good thing as well that what Joe Dumas came out with as well. And I think Jack Vaughan's comments, it was mentioned as well in Brian Windhorse's Hoop Collective podcast. It was, it was a little bit unusual, some of his quotes that came after the game and about resting the players and sort of, it was really a hit and miss. All right, uh, I wanted to just briefly touch on the Chicago Bulls continuing the good run of form, uh, even though Zach Levine's turned to the lineup. Uh, I think they've won 11 out of 18, and obviously we've spoken about Kobe White emerging as like a really solid first option. His last 20 games I've pulled up in front of me, averaging 22 points, uh, six rebounds, almost six assists, shooting 41.5% from three, uh, 46% from the floor. So shout out the Bulls. Um, I needed them to hit 42 wins for my season long over, and I thought that was dead in the water four weeks ago. And, and now they're slowly coming back up the Eastern Conference standings. I think there are, where are they? Number 10. So they were a long way back there, 10 at 16 and 21, a couple games behind Cleveland at eight. Um, just while we're looking at the standings, I have my handy little streak indicator, and I wanted to see if you guys could guess which team is currently on the longest winning or losing streak in the league. Uh, I reckon Yuri might know, so I'll throw it to Jules first because that way it's fair. Ooh, um, without looking, are the Blazers on a long losing streak? Uh, the Blazers are on a three-game losing streak. They're 3-7 oh. th- and seven over the last 10 games. That can't I'll be tell it. you, it's only five. We've had a, a number of resets mm. in the last week and a half. Oh, well, Yuri, you like, want to take a stab? Oh, okay, I think... It's a team the, we've spoken about very yeah, recently I, on today's show. I, I think I just said it, but... No. <laughs> I'm going to go to the Washington Wizards. No, <laughs> oh, so no. the Wizards have lost four in a row as well. It's the Clippers. The LA Clippers are on a five-game win streak. They're 8-2 and two over the last oh, 10. I thought you meant losing streaks. So. <laughs> so did I. Sorry, my apologies. Oh. I thought it was losing. I was going to say Lakers. I thought I said win and losing streak, and maybe that yeah. win got cut out. <laughs> uh, I think four games is the losing streak tied a couple, across a couple teams. So, uh, yeah, the Lakers on a four-game slide as well. Well done. And the Spurs, a four-game slide. So, good pick up there. Um, and then the last thing we wanted to talk about from this week before we get into our performance of the week is this Pacers-Bucks rivalry. I don't know mm. how much you guys want to stay on this. This is my favorite rivalry of the year. I love watching the Bucks play, even if it's at the start of this year, it was really muggy. They've kind of gotten through those growing pains to improve all the way to third, no, second. They've improved to second in the Eastern Conference at 25 and 10 after starting poorly. Uh, but the Pacers themselves, I had the Pacers as the team to watch at the end of last year. I loved Benedict Mathurin. He's not playing so great this year, but Tyrese Halliburton is. They got a slew of really good players who shoot the shit out of it. Um, they're currently tied for fifth in the Eastern Conference, sitting at seventh on point differential, but tied for fifth with Miami, Orlando, uh, and the Cavs at 20 wins, 15 losses. Anyone want to touch on this Bucks Pacers rivalry? I think it's good. Hey, Alex, two central division rivals. And exactly. the last playoff series they had was back in 2000. And that was a great series too. That It was a first-round series, went all the way down to the fifth and deciding game. And Travis Best was the hero for the Pacers. That series hit the corner three to put Indiana ahead. And it was a 1v8 matchup, that series alone as well. It was Larry Brown and he's – well, not Larry Brown. Should I say Larry Brown was the former coach before – 
Larry Bird took over by memory as well in the 1990s. And it was also George Carl for the Milwaukee Bucks. And the Bucks that season alone just scraped past the Orlando Magic, one game ahead of them to finish that eighth and final spot with a 42 and 40 record. And the Pacers sort of really struggled that series alone too. And sort of they had a lot of veterans on that team. Reggie Miller, Mark Jackson, Jalen Rose, who won most improved player that year, Dale Davis, Rick Smits. It was just a fantastic Second series. Second Dale Davis shout out for the show. That's a yeah. surprising one, yeah. Yeah, so Dale Davis was on that team too. I think that Austin Crozier on that team as well, really good shooting big man. And I think Sam Perkins, if not mistaken, was on that team as well. So that was a great series. And it's been 24 years since the two teams last played in a playoff series, which was that series alone. It would be nice to see if that does occur, whether the Pacers do finish as the number seven seed because most likely at this point you think Boston's going to finish on top even though, yes, we're only 35 games into 82 and the Bucks will finish second. If the Pacers do finish just that East number seven, so that'd be pretty juicy watching, <laughs> no doubt about that. I think the other part to us, well, what it does sort of remind similar of is from 2012 with the Celtics and Nets. Do you remember a little bit of that, Alex, as well? The yeah, tension yeah. between the two teams? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Chris Humphreys. Chris Humphreys and Rajan Rondo. There was a game on November 28, which I think Rajan Rondo was chasing John Stockton's record of 37 consecutive games of double-digit assists. And he got ejected for shoving Chris Humphreys after Humphreys pushed down Garnett. And there was just a little bit of a, yeah, a little bit of a scuffle there. And then, of course, uh, referees came to a decision. Gerald Wallace got tossed out of that game as well because he already picked up a technical earlier. And I think he was trying to stop Kevin Garnett from like, that was right it, so after was, that trade. Was that the year of the trade or the year after when all the Celtics beat It was the year got, after. Yeah, so it was the year after the trade. Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah, so we saw a little bit of that that season as well. I think Andre Blatch and Jared Salinger got into a little bit I'm as well. Way off a, topic. Yeah. So that was a Christmas Day <laughs> game back in 2012. But I think it's good. And it's nice to see sort of these sort of homegrown rivalries within mm. the division as well. And, that, and the same thing with the Nets and Celtics. That They're both Atlantic Division teams. So it certainly it perfectly makes sense. And to see this sort of growing up a, a Bucks team who's been veteran-laden for a number of seasons now, and the Pacers who've been making their mark after, they don't really rebuild anyway, Indiana. You think about it right under Donnie Walsh. They hardly ever rebuild their team, even after trading away all those stars in the summer of 2000. But I think it's really good because both teams – play similar style, even though, yes, the Pacers absolutely play a helter-skelter, up-and-down tempo style of play. And the Bucks, of course, can really control both ways, even though they do like to slow it down most of the time too. So I think it'll be a really good watch if it does potentially turn out to be a first-round series. And we've seen, of course, with the ball instance as well, with Giannis after scoring those 64 points and everything else, and Tyrese Halliburton doing the Dame Lillard tap-the-watch signal and... I think I think it's good. I think it's really mm. good to see it because we've seen rivalries over the years, right? Like long-term rivalries with the Miami Heat, New York Knicks, New York Knicks, Chicago Bulls, and just a number of other rivalries we can probably think of. But I think this is the newest of the new, and maybe we've seen a little bit of Golden State Memphis in the last couple of years. So it's really fun to see. All right, Jules. Uh, anything on the Pacers and Bucks rivalry, and then lead us into performance of the week. Uh, no, I've watched all the games. Just say in all the wins, um, Tyrese Halliburton, I'll just read out his points in all these wins um, against the Bucks: 29 points, 27 points, 26 points, 31 points, with a minimum of 10 assists in every one of those games. Oh, so he's probably unreal. becoming a nightmare for, for Giannis. 
All right, performance of the week. Um, I had Jalen Johnson's 28.7 rebound mm. effort shooting 60% from the floor. In that win against OKC, I didn't get a chance to watch that game or the highlights, but I saw that stat line. I know, Yuri, you are a massive fan of Jalen Johnson at the end of last year. That's how I found out who the hell he was. You were talking about him on the show, and I went, I'm pretty good at this basketball coverage stuff, and I've got no idea who Jalen Johnson is. So um, <laughs> he's been great for them since returning from, I think it was the broken hand for Atlanta. Yeah. Um, Jules, who did you have? I'm going to stick on trend with Sabonis against the Magic in that game that went into overtime. He had 22 points, 23 rebounds, 12 assists, two steals, and one block. And Yuri. Yeah, I actually had sort of a triple in this one too. It was from yesterday's Grizzlies-Lakers game with Desmond Bain, with Marcus Smart, and Jaron Jackson combining for 84 points yesterday. And I think, yes, John Moran scored the 21 points, but that trio was so instrumental in the Grizzlies getting the win, right? Marcus Smart, they pretty much, the Lakers left him all open, but it was all due to great ball movement. Desmond Bain was finding his teammates here and there. Even Zaya Williams going to the action late as well, hit a couple of threes in that final period. But those three alone, Joe Jackson's work on Anthony Davis, not just shooting the three, but just getting inside and trying to really match him physically as well. That was something that was really good to watch too and in finishing with 31 points. And of course, we've mentioned Marcus Smart that, most teams leave him wide open, but when he knocked down eight or 14 threes, as he did, and just really pivotal threes as well as to really sort of steady the ship for Memphis, that was big. And the big part as well, Desmond Bain, like we've spoken about, a season-high 13 assists as well. And this is probably the big part as well, I think, having Jar back, is that with Memphis, in terms of the ball facilitating now, it doesn't serve or have to be on Jar's shoulders for the time being, which I think is really good, especially when you have a backcourt and especially a shooting guard who can pass the ball as well as Desmond Bay. Yes, we're not talking like Steve Nash and Magic Johnson and Jason Kidd, exquisite passing behind the back looks and all that, but they're just very methodical passes, but hit the targets well though. And they're just the the simple extra pass in a way, if you want to call it too, but it really is to really good effect and that's what's really helped the Grizzlies even though yes they're in a hole at 12 and 23 but moving forward now this season as well that they've got these different sort of facilitators that they can use even Marcus Smart they can use as a facilitator like we saw when Ime Doka in his only season the Boston Celtics decided to start in the point guard position it's the same thing too and I think yes they're a little bit behind in terms of the playing position but if they can get those three remain healthy as well and the bench has done their part here and there. They managed to get Luke Kennard back as well, who's been injury ravaged this season. Then they could, they could. Not saying definite, but they could, like we spoke about the last couple of episodes with the Grizzlies. Julian, have you got a uh, fantasy start of the week? Start line I do, week? I do, but I'm actually going to track back a, a week early. So it's not from this week. It's from the 26th of December. And the reason I'm doing that is because last week, my stat line of the week was Cade Cunningham because I wanted to include him because he had a great <laughs> week. But... I actually just noticed after the show that I skimmed over Luka Doncic against the Suns where he had 50 points, 8 threes, 6 rebounds, 15 assists, 4 steals, and 3 blocks, which was way better than Cade's. So I, I cannot not acknowledge that <laughs> stat. <laughs> Do you have one for this week or you were just like, I need to shout out Luka? That, 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 was, that was my one uh, for this week. So I'm, I'm bringing it forward. And to, to be honest, even if I split that uh, stat line into two, it would half, still be yeah. an amazing stat line. <laughs> so we're going to stick with Luka. All right, I've got a surprise for you, gentlemen. Um, it's the return of Alex's secret segment. It's a segment I don't prep anybody for. 
Last time we ran this, it was a disaster. So it's probably been like a good four or five months. It's a very simple quiz. So Alex's secret segment today um, is around overtime games in the league this year. Most teams have played one, two, three games. There is one team in the league who has won three games in overtime. And there is one team in the league who has lost three games in overtime. Uh, who is who? I can give you a couple of clues if you'd like. Well, Ooh, that's a tough. We know the Kings have gone into overtime recently. I'm trying to think, are there overtime games? Are I think they... Boston's gone into a couple. Oh, they have gone into a couple. Yes, I think. So pick one of those guys. Which one? Well, let's let's well, actually, team up. Well, I, I, we know that Pistons lost to Celtics and they lost to the Jazz in overtime, so that's two. So surely they would have lost another game in overtime, making the Pistons. The I team can that confirm have lost that the Pistons are 0 and 2 in overtime oh, this season. Oh, right. So okay. there is a team that's 0 and 3. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, they're not necessarily 0 and 3. They've just lost three games. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they're the only team that's Ooh. played four overtime games this season, and they're right. 1 and 3. I'll give you right. that. Okay. Ooh. Pretty sure it's not Cleveland. Uh, it is not Cleveland, no. No. Nah. They're 2 yeah, and 0. They've won we'll... both their appearances. I'll yeah, get rid of a couple so. teams that's not for you. Um, it's an Eastern Conference team. I'll give you that. Okay. And it's not anyone um, in the bottom half of the stand. Bottom tier. Okay. Going to say the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers have never been to overtime this year. Oh. Right. And it's not the Bulls. I said there was only one team that's played four OT games. The Bulls are two and two. It's not them. I skipped that. Okay. So it's, it's an Eastern them. Conference team. Um, not a lot of losses, so it's surprising they've lost three in overtime. Um, and I'll, okay. they're in the top half of the Eastern Conference standings. The Philadelphia have 76ers? They, no, they're 0-1. They lost their one appearance. Have the Knicks Ooh. gone into overtime a few times? I feel the Knicks like have, have not yet played OT this season. Must have been last okay. year. Must have been last year. The Miami Heat? Uh, heat again. They have not gone into overtime. All right, I'll give you one <laughs> final clue. Um, we're we're and, killing this. This one might give it away. So they're one and three in overtime, but their winning percentage for the season is four out of five. They win 80% of the games they play. They're 28-7. Yeah, Boston have lost three games in overtime. Wow. Now, to move on, in the Western Conference, we've got one team who's won three games. Uh, Most of the other teams have played two or three games. Um, I'll give you the same hint. So it's a team in the top half of the Western Conference. Uh, they're 3-0. and They haven't lost an OT. Um, and I'm not sure what else I can give you without giving it away. Just, it's a team I we spoke no about I- today. Yeah, I, mean, I have no idea, but I'm going to throw out the Thunder simply because Shay and his clutch moments. No, they're 2-0. They're 2-0? So they're 2-0. <laughs> uh, the Denver Nuggets? Uh, the Nuggets have not been to overtime. Oh, wow. Nikola Jokic oh, yeah. made sure of that. Yeah, <laughs> it's a team we've oh. mentioned in this segment yeah, already. Is it, is it? Is it the Kings? It's the Kings. They're three and zero in overtime this year. Yeah. Mm. Uh, also, fun little stat that we'll definitely keep track on if it continues: the Boston Celtics, seventeen and zero at home. Uh, the NBA mm. record, I think, is forty and one, if I'm not mistaken. From yeah, I think Golden State went thirty nine and two back in 2015-16. and they rested their players and they lost that game. I think the Cavs also at home. Uh, 
one of the LeBron years. I could, it could yeah, be I think they went like thirty-four and seven or something like that in one of LeBron's seasons. I think Memphis. Remember, I think last season went thirty-five and six, if not mistaken. That's not even close. Uh, but yeah, if they get to twenty by this time next week, that's a fun uh, stat to keep track of because they're killing it at home. Except if it goes into overtime, actually, they win those <laughs> games. Um, that's it for today's show. Did we miss anything, guys? Ah, uh, no, I don't think so. There was also another. Really good performance as well from Grayson Allen yesterday against the Miami Heat. He made a he equaled a franchise record nine three pointers yesterday I missed against that. the Miami I completely Heat. Missed that. Yeah, yeah thirty one so points. Yeah, it was really good defensive performance. Frank Vogels, Frank Vogel, shall I say, spoke about it too. He said it was one of their best sort of team defensive performances. They had a really good one early in the week against Portland. And yes, Bradley it's only Beal, the Trailblazers. Yeah. yeah, they held them mm. to eighty eight points. So. It's really hard. It's sort Actually, of a really hard. I'm really gauge glad at this you stage. mentioned Grayson Allen because every time I watch the Suns, and I, I swore on last year's, um, last week's show, well, I guess it was last year's show, uh, not to talk about the Phoenix until the playoffs. Grayson Allen's been really, really good for them. Every time I've watched them, uh, he comes through in the fourth quarter with like 10 points, two steals. Like he's been excellent. Outside of that, did we forget anything? No, I think that's nah. about all. Uh, all right, let's wrap up. Um, thanks for joining us. If you're still here, please consider rating the show five stars wherever you listen. Consider telling a friend. Maybe we'll name this month Just Tell a Friend January. I don't know. Um, usually, there's a couple of us on here, so next week we might have a full squad from what I hear with Jack Brophy and Tom Dev back on deck. I've got to get back out to the yard, guys, and put some topsoil down. Uh, Yuri, what are you doing the Savo? Jules, what are you doing? Yeah, watching another NBL game, too. The Sydney Kings up against the Brisbane Bullets, and it's a really pivotal game for the Kings who dropped Thursday night's encounter to Melbourne United and sort of their defense has been really lackadaisical this season. They've really taken a step back here or there. They've also recently inserted Denzel Valentine, their import the former Chicago Bull, into their second unit, which really helped them beat up on the Cairns Taipans last week too. But they've had a lot of inconsistencies as well and saying the Brisbane Bullets this season, even though I think defensively their identity under Justin Shuler they've really found. So it should be a really exciting game too. And considering also some of the other games which have already occurred, the Adelaide 36 has celebrated their team's 25th championship anniversary, the, the legendary 1998-99 teams with the, with the likes like Brett Maher, who was an absolute superstar of that team. They beat Melbourne United yesterday, who sit on top of the table. So there's a really good win for them, which has been a really hard season for the Adelaide 36ers. But yeah, the action's been really great thus far and can't wait to see what else is in store for it. We have six more rounds after this. Uh, if we're talking about Australian basketball, shout out the Townsville Fire, uh, top of the WNBL here as well. You know, I'm a Townsville local. Went to see them on New Year's Eve and they had a really close contest for three quarters and then blew out Perth uh, in the fourth quarter. So shout out Steph Reed. She didn't score much, but they had to double team her at halftime. So she's a threat and a couple girls getting 25-point games as well. Jules, what are you doing on the server? Uh, sticking in line with the basketball theme, I'm going down to Hoop City in Cheltenham, Melbourne, which is a basketball training center, and the ball rebounds to you, so you can put up about 300 shots in 30 minutes. Your wrist is very sore by the end of the session, I'll tell you that much. And then I might have an early night because if you're game enough to wake up at 5 a.m., the Cavs are playing the Spurs, but at 7 a.m., you can go back to sleep because the Nets are playing the Trailblazers. So, <laughs> No offense to Nets and Trailblazers fans, of course. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for joining me, guys. See you next week. See you, guys. Cheers, Alex. Cheers, Joey.